You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to The Splash. I'm John Shea of the San Francisco Chronicle, and we're pleased to have Scott Harris on the podcast, the Giants general manager who provides insight on the players acquired so far in the offseason, the philosophy of placing high-level prospects on various minor league teams, and the Giants' presence in the Asian market, among other topical issues. Well, Scott, thanks for joining us and wanted to ask how you're doing. Uh, how's the family? Where are you and how are you coping these days? Hey, John. Uh, thanks for having me on. I am in San Francisco right now. I'm watching the fog roll in over the bay and uh, hoping that at some point I can get out of my house and we can play some baseball. But uh, very fortunate to have my health and, and the health of my family and uh, just hoping that 2021 is going to bring some baseball with some fans in the stands. Yeah, right on. Now, you are a local kid, Redwood City, Menlo School. Now, you went to UCLA. I did. I did. So you're a couple years older than Trevor Bauer. You saw him pitch in college? Yep. Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer were in the rotation oh my gosh. when I was in college. So it was a treat to, to go out to Jackie Robinson Stadium and watch them pitch. Wow. Speaking of which, you, you have some rotation uh, needs. <laughs> And uh, Bauer is a free agent, but I, I'm wondering if, because it's such a slow market, is the reality that you might fill these rotation spots after Gausman and Cueto and the newcomer, Desclafani, with, and obviously Logan Webb is a kid who had a rough year, but there's a lot of potential. Tyler Beatty's coming off Tommy John. With the last couple of spots in the rotation, you think it's more free agency? You think it's more trades? It's, it's tough to say right now. Uh, Farhan and I are on the phone pretty much all day, every day with other GMs and, and with agents uh, searching for ways to fill out our, the rest of our rotation. I, I should note as an organization, we've had success targeting uh, undervalued starters uh, in the past couple of winters. Pitchers such as Drew Smiley, Kevin Gosman, and Drew Pomerantz, uh, Came to San Francisco uh, uh, in um, you know less celebrated uh, moves and mm -hmm. ultimately uh, took the next step in their careers and, and had career years and um, we're, we're targeting uh, similar arms to, to them because we we have a deep belief in our pitching infrastructure and in our coaching staff um, to help us um, make meaningful adjustments to pitchers that may have come off of um, you know. Uh, suboptimal years and uh, bring them to San Francisco, make a few uh, pitching development adjustments, bring them to our park and, and allow them to, to ultimately reach their ceiling, just like Smiley, uh, Gosman and, and Pomerantz did as Giants. Right. So would, would the Trevor Bauer type maybe be more realistic in, in a year or two, maybe when the Giants who are now looking up at the Dodgers and the Padres, maybe one big free agent signing away from putting them over the top, to make them big time 
postseason, not only contenders, but a team that could get deep into October? Uh, I mean, you'll never hear us rule anything out, uh, okay. but you also won't hear us comment directly on, on current free agents. Uh-huh. Uh, I can say that we, we noticed what the Padres did last week. We, we noticed how the, the, the Dodgers have been building their team. And those are two very good teams down south. I don't think we could be in the business of responding to other teams' moves. We have to remain focused on our situation and try to make the best baseball decision we can at, at every um, you know decision point. Uh, however, I, I think I should note that the, the Padres' flurry of transactions is an important reminder of what it takes to pull off those moves. The Padres spent several years replenishing their – their farm system with okay. young players that ultimately help them build a, a talented uh, major league roster and ultimately help them acquire the veterans from outside the organization to supplement that core. Uh, we're undergoing the same transformation. And I, I think we're well on our way to um, putting ourselves in a situation where we have some exciting young players in, in Oracle. Um, and we also have the ability to um, compete for talent outside of the organization via those those types of moves that the Dodgers and Padres have made in recent years. Okay. How how active are the Giants in the Asian market? I mean, we just had Tomoyuki Sugano re-sign with the uh, Yamiuri Giants, but, you know, several teams were reportedly in on him. The Giants won, at least publicly. The Giants haven't come out and said anything, like you said, but the 30-day window came and went for Sugano and um, you know, apparently he didn't get what he wanted and returned to a real good deal in, in Japan. Now, I mean, the Giants were the first team to have a Japanese player. I'm talking back in the 60s with Masanori Murakami. But, you know, they've had a few, but mostly major league players, not necessarily um, any players posted or, or taken off the minor league ranks in Japan or or even Korea. I mean, we've had Shinjo, who was came over from the Mets and Yabu and Tanaka and Aoki, these guys, but they were, they were kind of major league players already. But how significant uh, of a presence do the Giants have in the Asian market? And maybe I just ask you, uh, because he wasn't a big league free agent, about Sugano in particular. We, we're very active in the Asian market. Uh, we have scouts on the ground in Asia that are constantly evaluating players, um, in, in, in all of the Asian markets, uh, we did significant homework on every player that was posted so far this winter and, and in recent winters. Uh, I think it's a sign of health for Major League Baseball that we have so many uh, Asian players wanting to come and test their skills in, in, in Major League Baseball. Uh, we have players coming over from Japan. We have players coming over for, from Korea. Um, we have you know domestic players who have gone – um, to Asia to, to work on specific skills and, and, and come back and they found new success here in, um, in Major League Baseball. So I think we're not doing our jobs unless we're very active in, in Asia. Um, I, I don't think the number of transactions we make with Asian players is necessarily uh, uh, reflective of how much work we do on those players. Uh, sometimes you do a lot of work on, on players and it just doesn't make sense as a baseball decision to sign that player at that time. Um, but it doesn't mean you won't, we won't sign a, an, an Asian player in the future. So 
we're, we're constantly monitoring those markets. And uh, if there's an opportunity for us to, to get better uh, via, you know, bidding on a, a posted player, we're, we're going to do that because uh, we're singularly focused on, on making those sound baseball trades and improving our, our short and long-term outlook. Okay. Okay. And the Giants obviously weren't the only team not, not to sign Sugano because uh, nobody did. There was interest, but maybe not what he expected. But anyway, um, taking it more back to home here, uh, we, you know, we've recently had the minor league realignment, the Giants, AAA Sacramento, AA Richmond, High A Eugene, which is a new team. And then uh, the California League with San Jose is now low A. But um, with, with the news that the AA and single A leagues would be delayed until the AAA spring training guys are out of camp, so they're not going to report till, till after that. I, I was just wondering about the development of some of these guys uh, and, and how you might place, uh, how that might change where you might place the young guys, you know, the top prospects, whether it's Luciano or, or Bishop or Canario, Wilson, these guys who, who um, obviously need more development and yet you're only going to start the season with one minor league team, the AAA guys. And then only after that, will the single A and double A guys come into Scottsdale to, to begin training? Is that even a factor? It's a huge factor. Uh, I, oh. I should note that uh, if 2020 taught us anything, it taught us that every situation is fluid. So mm. until those, those uh, leagues formally, uh, uh, get delayed. I, I think we're going to remain hopeful that we can find some sort of competitive environment to place all of our minor league players. But I think you hit on an important point. Um, the uh, changes in the minor league structure will have a significant effect on our minor league players paths to the big leagues. I, I, I think these changes will affect the giants in a few ways. First, uh, an underreported impact is the elimination of short season teams, uh, which will force us to be more intentional about the way we promote players in the lower levels. Uh, short season, um, and specifically our, our Salem Kaiser team, often served as a transition level from rookie ball to full season ball. Uh, but it looks like we will have to be more intentional about teaching those transitional skills and behaviors in rookie ball to prepare our, our players for a more significant jump from rookie ball to San Jose. I think the, the, the second major impact is that uh, we, we sort of flipped our a ball teams. So mm -hmm. San Jose will now be the low a team and, and Eugene will be our high a team. So effectively uh, Augusta was replaced by San Jose and San Jose was replaced by Eugene. We're really excited to move to Eugene. E Eugene, um, I have experience personally with Eugene because when I was with the Cubs, that was one of our affiliates. They have excellent facilities and an excellent ownership group, uh, which I became familiar with when I was working for the Cubs. And I think that's a, a great addition for us and it'll minimize the travel that we have to subject our, our, our minor league players to. Um, and I think the third major impact is the one that you hit on in, in the question is that losing an entire season for our minor league players in 2020 was potentially damaging to their careers. Uh, it, it means our minor league players lost 
developmental reps in 2020. They lost experience facing adversity and, and making adjustments. They lost uh, an opportunity to grow with their teammates and learn uh, how to keep their bodies healthy and productive over a long season. And I think this is underratedly challenging for their development. And I think we need to make adjustments as a player development group to make sure that these challenges don't impede their path to the big leagues. Some things we've, we've been talking about is, um, you know, being more intentional about our work in spring training and uh, in alternate tight, if that ultimately comes to, to pass, to make sure that not only are we teaching skills to the young players, but we're creating competitive environments where they can t test those skills uh, in the absence of minor league games. So I, uh, we've, we've been talking internally about where to place some of our players, as, as you talked about with Luciano and, and some of our um, other younger, higher upside players. I think if the opportunity presents itself, um, we may start them with conservative placements, but uh, be totally open-minded to uh, promoting them quickly. Um, because I don't think we can underestimate the impact of going an entire year without playing in real uh, competitive games against players from other organizations. It's almost like easing them back into competitive ball. I, you could say all you want about the alternative side in Sacramento, but you're facing the same guys every day for the most part. Exactly. And every hitter can tell you the more times you face a pitcher, the easier it is to yeah. perform against him. Um, you don't have that luxury when you're playing in a, in a real league with uh, competition from other organizations. We'll be back with more of Scott Harris right after this quick break. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Are you worried about the development of your pitchers? Because none of the high-level guys were in Sacramento, so they really missed that full year. Seth Corey, Sean Jelly, uh, Tristan Beck, these are guys who, you know, the Giants are known for their hitting prospects, but there's some some good ones on the pitching side as well, but they didn't have the opportunities for reasons explained. The pitchers could work out on their own, maybe easier and more efficiently than hitters can. Hitters needed that daily grind, which they got in Sacramento, but not the pitchers. But what about the concern with the development of these top pitching prospects without that year of development? I, I think I'm concerned about the development of all of our players at all times, mm -hmm. um, but I think – if, if we're comparing hitters to pitchers, I think I'm less concerned about the development of our pitchers because I think it's easier to simulate competitive environments in bullpens. Um, so, you know, if a, if a pitcher such as uh, Sean Jelly is throwing bullpens in front of technology and perhaps throwing to hitters at home during a quarantine, uh, I think there are ways to um, – create competition within those bullpens. And I know our pitching coaches and our, our pitching coordinators have done an excellent job to uh, encourage uh, pitchers to simulate those, those game environments. I think it's a lot harder if you're a hitter because there just aren't very many humans on earth who can <laughs> throw 95 and, and spin a breaking ball and allow you to test your skills and your ability to um, 
you know, uh, lay off tough ch- chase sliders when, when you're on your home, on your own, uh, back at home in, uh, you know, wherever you live in, in the country. Uh, that, that said, um, I think instructs in 2020 was an important developmental tool for, for many of our young pitchers. We had, uh, three specific pitchers who, uh, showed up to instructs ready to compete and, and ready to, um, take the next step in their development. And, and those pitchers were, uh, Camilo Duvall, Kervin Castro and Gregory Santos. And, uh, they all touched the upper nineties and in instructs and, and dominated young hitters and improved the command of their secondary stuff. And, and that led to us, uh, selecting them to the, to the roster before the reserve lists were due. Um, and th- I think that's a sign of health for our pitching group. And, and I'm excited to, to watch them develop towards the big leagues. Could we see one of those top pitching pro- uh, prospects in the Giants rotation in 2021? I imagine Jelly is the furthest along. I, I think it, will, it would be tough to envision them cracking the rotation immediately. Uh, again, I, I wouldn't rule anything out, uh, mm-hmm. but they sacrificed an entire year of competition. So um, expecting them to show up to spring training, just ready to compete and, and, and um, you know, act as if they didn't miss an entire year of development would be tough to envision. Um, so I think we're, we're building a rotation, assuming that they will not be a factor at least in the early going, um, which should allow us to, to create additional depth in our rotation and, and our, uh, our pitching infrastructure moving forward. Okay. So could I name some of the new guys that you've acquired uh, in the off season since the end of last year and maybe ask for a few words on each? Sure. Okay. Well, uh, the, one of the top, uh, guys is uh base clafani who will be in the rotation this year i i think the first thing you notice about anthony is he has a big arm which should give us three starters in di scafani gossman and and tyler Beatty when he's back uh who can touch the upper 90s with their four seam fastballs and uh i think that'll create some margin for error for anthony um as well as gossman and Beatty. um anthony uh, complements that big fastball with two distinct breaking balls and a, a, a changeup and a sinker to give him five weapons to attack hitters. The other thing to notice about Anthony is he's traditionally uh, struggled to limit home runs and attack left-handed hitters. I think that was evident um, in 2020 and in a, a non-traditional year. Uh, one of the reasons why we thought Anthony was an appealing target for us was uh, we noticed some usage patterns and stuff adjustments that we can make to him as a giant. Um, in addition to the opportunity to move him from great American ballpark in Cincinnati, which is an excellent hitters park for left-handed hitters to Oracle, which has traditionally been tough on left-handed hitters. Um, and I think the combination of those factors leave us uh, very optimistic that, uh, Anthony could, uh, end up, um, you know, falling in that group of, of stars that we mentioned earlier on the call of Drew Smiley, Kevin Gosman, and Drew Pomerantz, mm-hmm. who came to San Francisco and, and tapped into another year of their potential to, to have a career year. And the catcher, Kurt Casale, was with Tampa, was with Cincinnati. Donnie Ecker worked with him in Cincinnati, one of your hitting coaches, and his numbers really improved. And he was signed to compliment Buster Posey, even though he, like Buster, bats from the right side. Uh, you also have Chadwick Trump, but it, Casale obviously has much more experience. We're, we're looking forward to adding 
Kurt to the mix. It's funny that you asked about Kurt after Anthony DiScafani because I was actually texting with Kurt Casale asking his opinion of Anthony DiScafani because he caught him so many times in, in Cincinnati. Um, but Kurt, in his own right, is, is a well-rounded catcher. Uh, he contributes in all facets of the game. He's an excellent receiver and game caller. He brings a, a patient, disciplined approach to the plate and, and has some impressive pull-side power. Um, and last but not least, Kurt is an outstanding teammate. Um, he knows how to get the most out of, out of pitchers. He's an excellent evaluator of pitching, and, and he's constantly seeking ways to get better. Um, and, and I think those, those makeup attributes are a significant reason why we targeted him. Um, and I also should note that uh, we tapped into the Vanderbilt mafia that we have building here in, uh, in San Francisco with, uh, you know, Yastrzemski and, and Selman and Beatty and all those guys. And they know um, Casali very well. And they, they in, in endorsed him as a, a future member of the Giants. So I, I think that clinched it for us and, and, we decided to bring Kurt to San Francisco and we think he's going to have a significant impact on, on our clubhouse. Yeah. He seems to know this roster better, better than anybody else knows this roster. <laughs> right. uh, uh, now um, Matt Whistler had a super year with the twins uh, veteran reliever. Yeah. Matt um, was one of the, the guys that we didn't actually expect to be available in free agency. He was non-tendered by the twins. Um, suddenly right before the, the tender deadline. And, and we tried to pounce on, on him quickly. Uh, I think I actually called his, his agent the night that he was non-tendered. Uh, the most appealing um, element of, of Matt's game is, is his slider. He features one of the, the better right-handed sliders in, uh, in the game right now. And uh, he spiked his usage of his slider last year and found um, uh, some very impressive results with the Twins. Uh, the other uh, appealing um, element of his game is he's a highly versatile uh, reliever for us. He has experience pitching in a variety of roles. Uh, he's been a setup guy in his career. He's been a multi-inning reliever. He's even open for a starter in the past. Uh, I think he fits us very well, and he gives Cap um, uh, a very versatile right-handed option in, in the back end of his pen uh, for the 21 season. Okay, and then uh, John Brebria, free agent from the Cardinals. Uh, I got a front row seat to uh, what John Brebbia can do uh, the, the last few years in the NL Central. Uh, he dominated over the, over the last three years with the Cardinals in the back end of their bullpen before succumbing to Tommy John surgery in, in June of 2020. Um, so he, we found him suddenly available because of, of the injury. Uh, I should credit our medical staff who did a great job investigating his re rehab pro progression and, and um, concluded that he's on track for a full recovery. And so as soon as we got the sign off from our medical staff um, that, that he should be back uh, midway through 21 and be controllable for another two years after that, um, we decided that, you know, this is a rare opportunity to get an experienced uh, battle-tested right-handed reliever who's pitched in the back end of a very competitive bullpen for, for multiple years and bring him to San Francisco. So we're really excited to bring John. Um, we're not going to rush him. We, he still has uh, a few steps left in his rehab progression before we can plug him into the back end of bullpen, but, but he gives us some, some depth and upside for the 21 season and beyond. Mm. In the last couple of guys, uh, Jason Vossler, the left-handed uh, utility guy, a little pop, um, you know, from the Padres organization and um, 
the guy you claim from the Mets, uh, Daniel Nunez. Both those guys are, are exciting young players for us. Uh, I have personal history with Jason Vossler. He, uh, we drafted him in Chicago um, before we, we traded him to San Diego. And so I've always followed his career. Uh, what's exciting about Jason is he's a versatile left-handed bat. He has a strong track record against right-handed pitching. Um, and he can play uh, almost every position in the infield. Um, so I think he fits our roster very well. There were times during the 2020 season where we felt like we were one left-handed bat short. Um, and so getting a, a, a young player like Jason and um, being able to sign him um, and uh, uh, carry him on our roster as an optionable piece who can uh, fit our roster in a variety of ways uh, was, was just an opportunity we felt like we couldn't pass up. Um, as for Daniel Nunez, he is a uh, right-hand starter that we, we selected in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, one of the reasons why we selected him is we saw a significant velocity spike in instructs with the Mets. Um, and we've always been a fan of his power breaking ball. And we thought that, uh, you know, similar to some of the names I mentioned earlier on the call in, in Duvall and Santos and Castro, that he may have taken a next step in his development. And, and it was an opportunity for us to acquire him cheaply in the, in the Rule 5 draft, bring him to camp and let him start working with our, our pitching coaches. So we're excited to add another right-handed reliever for, for us in 21 and, and hopefully beyond. Well, to complete that list, it's only fair to mention another guy, uh, Kevin Gausman. I mean, he was a free agent. He didn't belong to you in the offseason, but you brought him back. Um, um, you made the offer and he accepted. And uh, so he'll be on the top end of the rotation. Yeah, we're thrilled to have Kevin back. Um, it's very rare that you can uh, lure a, a free agent of his caliber after such a career year back on a one-year deal. Um, but I think it was a, a perfect union between an organization that was looking to help pitchers take the next step in their career and a pitcher who genuinely loved his time with the Giants. And I think more broadly, that's a sign of health in this organization. It's a sign that Cap and his coaches have created a strong and empowering culture in the clubhouse and a culture that players want to be a part of. Um, you know, Kevin had uh, numerous other options in different cities on, you know, perhaps bigger deals uh, to go elsewhere. And he decided that he wanted to be a giant and we're, we're so proud of him for making that decision. And we're, we're so proud that we've, we've made a destination that uh, the pitchers and, and position players really want to play in. And so we hope that, that Kevin is, is the first of, of many players who decide that they want to be giants and they want to stick around and, uh, that's not to mention all of the attributes that he brings on the, on the mound every five days where uh, we talked about this last winter about how we were hopeful that, you know, with better command of his, his splitter and um, his ability to, to ride his forcing fastball up in the zone and, and work on adjustments to his slider that he could tap into some additional p potential. And, and I think we saw that in 2020 and, and hopefully that's a stepping stone to an even better year for him in 21. Okay, Scott, maybe one last question. I wanted to ask your theory on having a closer or not. And the Giants didn't have a consistent one. And I think it, it was costly uh, to some degree. Um, Farhan has spoken about how it might not necessarily be a need because you can always fill in guys. And sometimes the seventh inning, more important than the ninth, uh, higher leverage, et cetera. But you have Reyes Maranta coming back. Uh, 
you have the new kid, uh, Camilo Doval, like you said, uh, with Castro and Santos throws, you know, a million miles an hour. Um, do you figure if there's a closer in 2021, if, and, and that's not really a title that I heard much from the manager or the staff in 2020, it was more high leverage than, than setup guy and closer, the traditional roles. But if there is a closer, do you expect someone from the current group to assume the role? And what is your, would you like to have a closer? I hope so. I, I've seen uh, one point, uh, I think, misrepresented a little bit on the internet that, that you know, perhaps Farhan Cap and I prefer not to have a closer, that we prefer to, you know, uh, have a closer by committee situation. That, that, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. If we had a, the right um, uh, reliever in our mix that could step up and lock down the closer role and, and be that type of um, dominant presence at the end of the game that can shorten uh, games. We would, we would love to have that. I mean, we, we, we are eager to find someone to fill that role and to um, make sure that we are, that the end of the game is, is merely a formality that, you know, as soon as we hand the ball to a dominant closer, that the game's over and the giants win. And uh, so I don't think that we had that on our 2020 roster. We're, we're hopeful that we, um, can find that either via trade um, or via, you know, development of a, a young homegrown arm. I think if you look at uh, recent history, the free agent market is um, a risky place to go searching for closers because um, they're, they're typically high paid arms who are a little bit older in their careers. And um, some of them turn out very well, but some of them can hamstring your ability to uh, make changes to your roster in the future. So our, our preference would be to develop a homegrown reliever that can um, seize the opportunity to become the closer. You, you named a few uh, pitchers who have a chance to, to do that for us, uh, as well as Reyes Maranta, who's coming back this year, who we're really excited about. So mm-hmm. if, if a reliever asserts himself and, and uh, proves that he deserves that role, like we're going to hand it to him because I think it, it makes our job easier and it, it improves our chances of, of uh, closing out games and, and winning every night. Fair enough. Well, Scott, thank you so much for the time. And uh, I appreciate uh, all this great insight. Thanks, John. Great to talk to you. I hope I get to see you soon. Yeah, for sure. Happy New Year to you. You too. Take care. Thanks for joining us on The Splash, and thanks to Scott Harris for the great conversation. Please stay tuned for more podcasts coming your way as we approach the 2021 season. The Giant Splash is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Podcast producers are King Kaufman and Alan Johnson. The theme song, Batter Up, was written and performed by Lauren Gold and Ray Eastless. Support The Splash and all of our great journalism by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.